the world more peaceful since the revolution. It is a shame that your people suffered. But bounty hunting is a complicated profession. Welcome back to Still Watching the Mandalorian. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair special correspondent Anthony Bresnikan. Each week on this podcast, we like to break down the latest episode of the Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian. We are up to chapter six. Chapter six. The Mm. Prisoner. (laughs) (laughs) And we will only be spoiling anything up through this episode. So no future spoilers from us. We actually don't know anything really. So there's no danger of it. Um, Hey, come on. We know a little bit. Let's not just sell it. We know some things. We know things. We know know things. We know some things. It's true. But um, we will not let them uh, find their way into this uh, discussion of chapter six. You can always email us at uh, stillwatchingpod.com gmail.com and we really appreciate your emails and, and feedback and we wanted to start with something that a few people reached out to uh, us about regarding last week's episode that's where we want to start well, we're going to start with last week and this was something that I did not I did not catch right away it kind of made me wonder initially but there was a clue that I didn't catch uh, I had no idea about the jangling all right. So there's, we, we talked about this figure that comes, you know, our, our, uh, our, our lady assassin, Ming Na Wen, is on the ground at the end of last Fennec week's Shan. episode. Fennec Shan. We're so, Anthony and I are bummed out. We're like, ah, oh, we wanted more of her. What's going on? And in our grief, we missed a clue, uh, which was, you know, someone comes walking up. We were wondering last week, who could that be? And we, uh, we threw out some ideas of cast members who hadn't been revealed yet. But the person who walks up, I think you even mentioned at the time, like spurs a jangling. Um, the jangling has, uh, has a clue in it. What's that clue, Anthony? Anthony Bresnikan. Well, in the original trilogy, whenever Boba Fett walks around, he's got spurs that jingle, jangle, jingle. <gasps> a jingle, jangle spur. <laughs> he uh, sounds like I do at Dingling Day before Christmas time in elementary school when I came to school dressed uh, as an elf as part of a competition about who could wear the most bells. We need to talk about something really quickly because you just said dingling day as yeah. if it's a thing that like we universally experienced as humans. Oh, uh, what is dingling? <laughs> what is dingling day? It was what, at St. Joe's Catholic uh-huh. Elementary School in, sure. in Pennsylvania in first grade. They had a contest and you had to come to school dressed in your most Christmassy fashion. So I had a felt elf outfit that wow. uh, I think my grandma made me and my mom Amazing. sewed little jingly bells on it and I wore the top half of a Santa Claus uh, styrofoam Christmas cooler as a hat. That's not embarrassing. That's <laughs> incredible. It's just incredible. Thank you for sharing. I, inc- <laughs> I won the hell out of Dingling Day. I won it. 
That was the last time I won anything. <laughs> wow, I think they should introduce Dingling Day as like a special Star Wars holiday uh, and make it canon. Make it canon. Boba Fett can win every year. But anyway, so that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a hint that it might be uh, Boba Fett, the end of this episode. The last time we saw Boba Fett, he had fallen good, into the Good segue pit. back, Joanna. Right back. <laughs> <laughs> We went off the cliff like an episode of Dukes, Dukes of Hazard and freeze framed, and you were like, "And back to the Mandalorian." Okay. Meanwhile, back to the Mandalorian. Um, back those, in the universe that makes sense. <laughs> those Duke brothers. Um. So yeah, it it might have been the Mandal- uh, the the Boba Fett, the Boba Fett. It might have been Boba Fett, and that would be interesting for a few reasons. Number one, the last time we saw Boba Fett, he had fallen into the Sarlacc pit a little like uh, unceremoniously, so he might have uh, activated his jetpack and flown out of there possibly could have happened um it would be kind of funny because you know a lot of people when the mandalorian was announced a lot of people were like come on this is this is boba fett right (laughs) and then the the makers of this series were like no we promise this is not boba fett they're like okay but it's boba fett you could just say that it's boba fett uh and they were like no we promise pedro pascal is not playing boba fett but like if boba fett's in the show they technically did not lie. So, you know, it's it's possible. And that would also kind of explain why we were on Tatooine in the first place. Um, uh, you know, nostalgia aside, like, why go to Tatooine otherwise if not to, you know, pick up a character who was last seen there? So, Well, there is another aspect to consider. Sure, um, hit me. I'd like to submit into evidence the <laughs> Aftermath trilogy written by Chuck Wendig. Which um, posits that the, uh, what is it called? The Great Pit of Carcoon, where the Sarlacc uh, resides, uh, was uh, raided. uh, And uh, Tatooine residents kind of, you know how like, you know how like you'll find like uh, some sort of uh, like a natural spring in the mountains of Utah. And they dive down to the bottom of it and find uh, like old like artifacts pieces of pottery or you know like a, a, a rifle from the old west or something sure, so they yeah. kind of do that the uh the people of tatooine uh, somehow figure out a way to get into the sarlacc and pump its stomach pull out a couple of old license plates and baby doll heads and whatever the hell else has been chucked down into that and in aftermath uh the jawas recover some what uh, Chuck Wendig called all too familiar Mandalorian armor. Right. And, uh, and at a certain point in the series, a character named Cobb Vanth, who's like a local lawman, uh, puts on the armor and fortifies himself to sort of clean up his town. So, if Boba Fett is indeed deceased and his, uh, corporeal form is being slowly digested was it over the course of a couple thousand years in the, <laughs> in the stomach of the sarlacc uh uh then his uh his armor that armor could be on another character so it might be the jangling boots but worn by perhaps Cobb Vanth or oh. somebody else who, who takes on the armor it might be like luke and anakin's lightsaber where this is just uh an artifact that is now passing down through various hands until it ends up into, you know, uh, protecting a, a new hero or or anti-hero or villain. Who knows? And just, what do, just what do we know of this character? 
Cobb Cobb Vance. uh, He's sort of a side character in Wendig's books. Uh, A good guy, though. You know, he means well. Sort of like, uh, I don't know, like what the correlation to other storytelling might be. It's not exactly the sword and the stone. It's just like that he found this thing that was part of history, and now he's using it to to confront, you know, dangers in the present day. So uh, it could be that could be that he turns up there. The timeline kind of matches, you know, because aftermath was set after the events of Return of the Jedi. So could be. And aftermath is canon. Aftermath is canon, yeah. All right. This is where they explore the Battle of Jakku and uh, and tie up a lot of the loose ends that they were not able to do cinematically um, to to explain like what how the how the Empire actually fell after Return of the Jedi, and then uh, uh, how the New Republic rose from from all that. And as, you know, as we discovered in this episode, and we'll get to we'll get to who's in this episode of uh, Chapter Six of, of The Mandalorian. But mm-hmm. anyone could be in the show at this point, as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't have to be like an actor we're already aware of wearing that suit. That oh, yeah. being that being said, um, well, I just want I just want to entertain this idea for a second. We've only seen Giancarlo Esposito's character really from like the shoulders up. Yeah. Um, so far in promos, he doesn't appear to be wearing. Um, you know, uh, uh, anything particularly Fetty, Bubba Fetty. No. Um, and he described his character, uh, was, you know, speaking with entertainment tonight, he described his character as a warden of the universe. I play a guy who was a warden of the universe. He was in power before the Empire collapsed. You don't know if he's good or bad, but he certainly is a guy who has order in his life. He's an exciting guy because he has all of the equipment and spaceships at his ready. So mm-hmm. we only have two more episodes, right? After this one, is that? Am I right? Or maybe three episodes? Is it a nine episode season? Sorry. I'm getting confused with The Watchmen, which is only eight episodes. But um, we only have a few more episodes, I'll say that. Uh, so, you know, to meet Giancarlo Esposito's character and to be wowed by him. So, um, who knows? He might show up with some some jingle jangle boots uh, to go with all of his other cool equipment that he has. I think it's perhaps more likely that yes. they did the jangling as a red herring as a little way to make people chatter just like they showed that very f- boba fett looking figure in the background of uh like episode sure. one i don't necessarily believe that that's boba fett i think that john favreau and dave filoni want you to ask if that's boba they fett. want us to wonder was sure. that you know was that could that be um and so it's done not and then what? No, what? come on, that's not Boba Fett. Oh, who's this jingly character? <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, here's here's what I will say. I hope that whoever it is, it gets resolved this season. I would prefer this not to be a thread we have to pick up, like you know, a year from now or whatever, when the Mandalorian season oh, two premieres, because yeah. then it'll um, lead to some divisive like factions in the fandom. Yeah. <laughs> like. Resolve it now. Do us all a favor. Thank you so much. The Fetlows or whatever, you know. Um, And then, so Anthony and I are going to talk about Chapter 6, The Prisoner. Um, But also, at the end of this episode, we're going to do a little Rise of Skywalker chatter. A little extra Rise of Skywalker chatter. Because he and I have not seen the movie yet. But this will be the last uh, episode of the podcast we record before we have seen the movie. So the last episode we can spend sort of just speculation, speculating, wishing, whatever, you know. So we're going to do a little little Rise of Skywalker chatter at the end. So And, two, and, and, and by the way, only two episodes left. Okay, right, right. So eight unless, episode season. Unless they're going to pull like a surprise, you know. 
surprise there's a ninth one coming but no right now or or the last one's two hours or something like that who right. knows right but, right right um yeah, because this episode, okay, circling back, uh, this episode is longish in that it is over 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, compared to some of the other shorties that we've had this season, this is a, a longer episode. Um, the writer of the episode, Chris Yost, described this episode to me as a heist episode. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a prison break episode, basically, um, where we have the Mandalorian meeting up with some unsavory characters, some of whom he used to run with. And he has to go on this, uh, this mission, this heist, uh, whilst preserving his code, his honor, um, uh, all for the money, I suppose. Um, yeah. uh, let I, us, I, I really ahead. like this one, Rick, uh, Famuyiwa who directed episode two, directed this one. I thought it had a great pace. I was really, I was really into it. I like all the characters we met. I'm, I'm a big fan of like of the, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to within the span of 40 minutes. And that's what every episode of the Mandalorian has tried to do, but like introduce a character and you feel like, you know, who that character is and you're sort of like somewhat invested, if not like deeply emotionally, then at least like on an entertainment level. And um, I think this is one of the most successful efforts yet to like introduce a, a rogues gallery of, of characters that we can really latch onto. Let's talk about casting um so hey clancy brown um yes genre fave clancy brown uh is in this episode rocking a very like um tim Curian legend red skin horned uh look as far as i'm concerned but i did not know clancy brown was gonna be in the mandalorian so that was a fun surprise now uh, he's playing a kind of alien um that turned up in the, uh, I believe it was in, in the, in the cantina in the original, uh, in the original Star Wars movie from 1977 where they just show, sort of show a bunch of creepy looking weirdos hanging out in the shadows. You know, that, uh, I think at one point, maybe this was removed by the special edition. There was like a wolf man in a spacesuit. Right. And then there's this, uh, <laughs> this devil horned mofo, uh, which, uh, which we learn is called a Deveronian. I love that as a name. Yeah. Uh, so, so you think there's like some friend, I, like ever since you mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I keep like thinking of the friend who maybe got a thing named for them. So like Bob Devereaux, you know, now has like a, a an alien race name. For them, like, <laughs> like that, you know? Or, you know, you're, uh, yeah, you're, you know, uh, Daniel Deveronian who, uh, you know, uh, soil Armenian fellow from down the street. Really good guy. <laughs> Went to high school with him. Just a full on, like, yeah. So Deveronian, I think also uh, more likely the dev, you know, devil. Right. It's clearly like this scary red faced horned creature. I mean, the character's name is Blurg. Blurg, uh, if he ever decides to give up heists and jailbreaks would have a really fruitful career posing as the model for hot sauce bottles. <laughs> great. What a great, uh, alternate career. Uh, yeah, I love know, it. Star Wars um, hot sauce. <laughs> a, a big surprise in this episode, uh, not casting wise because we knew he was in it, but just performance wise for me is Bill Burr. Bill Burr, we knew the com- he's a largely comedian, though he's like done some acting. Mm-hmm. We knew he was in the show. Anthony had mentioned that he was just sort of like not really a Star Wars fan, was just kind of like, oh yeah, I'm in this thing. Who cares? He's, I think, great in this. What did you think of, of Bill Burr? Um, yeah, kind of a divisive comedian. 
Absolutely. He's, uh, you know, and I actually, I actually think that this episode lampshades that a little bit, right? By having him do a Gungan impression. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess so. I didn't think of it quite that way, but yeah, the, uh, yeah, at one point he taunts the Mandalorian, take off your helmet. What are you, a Gungan under there? And he does a whole like Misa, yeah. you know, like accent. Yikes. And, um, yeah. Which is uh, very Bill Burr, honestly. Yeah. You know, kind of a, a comedian known for punching down, I yeah. think, is part of the problem with him. Is the comedians often say provocative, uh, maybe upsetting or you know, pearl grasping things, but uh, Bill, Bill Burr kind of has a reputation for you know punching down at people, and um, uh, I have to say, like I watched some of his uh, some of his uh, last comedy special, and it just made me really sad. It's like watching somebody get bullied, you know? <laughs> so I, don't, I just want to preface it with that. Like, I actually really do think he did a great job in this movie or in this uh, episode, but, uh, I would not. Yeah. I, that, I think it was kind of lingering great... in the back of my mind a little bit. I don't know. I, I think he did a great job in this episode. I would not recommend anyone listen to his comedy personally. That's, that would be my, I, I like kind of some, some of his other comedy. I guess this most recent one, I don't know, just felt, felt a little mean spirited, but he plays a very mean, dickish kind of guy in this so i don't know <laughs> maybe it's typecasting uh even his approach to star wars where he was like basically ridiculing it and being dismissive of it i think that's just kind of his thing is that he he pushes his comedy is that he pushes the buttons by kind of outraging you so you know then we have uh natalia tena who or tenya i can't remember how you pronounce her last name but she plays Shion, which is a, a twilight who is uh a potential former girlfriend of the Mandalorian, a very Harley Quinn type character. Uh, this is a very Suicide Squad slash Guardians of the Galaxy episode. Um, and, you know, a lot of people know her from her work in Harry Potter or Game of Thrones. Uh, Who I was she was, on her, in Harry Potter? She's Tonks. She plays Tonks. Oh. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. So, uh, what did you think of, of her? I loved her. I love the like knife throwing stuff. I love that stuff. What did you, what did you think of her in this? Wonderful. Like, she's got to act beneath like purplish makeup and, and have fangs giant, <laughs> and fangs and the giant, uh, uh, you know, head tails. She, I mean, she projected a lot of menace, a lot of like flirtatious menace too. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know that they were ever a thing. I think she always was trying to tantalize. I think it was like mocking a priest, you know, like that the Mandalorian's <laughs> never going to take the helmet off. You know, he's never going to take the collar off. Like just sort of like torment him a little and flirt with him and, and play it up and just, uh, almost like it reminded me a little bit of, of the dynamic we often see between Catwoman and Batman. And, uh, you know, that Catwoman is very, uh, playful and taunting and slinky and flirtatious. And Batman is always just, you know, a robot. <laughs> so, um, I kind of, I love the, the little interplay between them. Yeah. And that was fantastic. Um, 
One of my favorite comedians of all times, Richard Ayoade, gets to voice a droid. Couldn't think of a perfect, like a more perfect voice for a droid than Richard Ayoade, uh, who is just this like bone dry British comedian and great filmmaker uh, to boot. And oh, yeah. the um, IT, I was the IT crowd, like the IT crowd, series. yeah, Moss from the IT crowd, just great stuff. Uh, I was, I was, I lost my mind when I heard his voice. I like got so excited. So neat, like grasshopper headed droid. Too. Yeah. That yeah, was yeah. a cool design for the droid. Yeah, very cool. Uh, and then the uh, the member of their party that they're going to rescue um, is an actor, Ismail uh, Cruz Cordova. Do you know why this is? F- I I also lost my mind when I found out why this is funny. Do you know why this is funny? Uh, I don't know why it's funny. No, tell me. All right. So, uh, in addition to some of the other uh, work that he's done, uh, Ismail got his start on Sesame Street. Playing a character named Mando. And, uh, he, if you look up on YouTube, there's a great song that he did on Sesame Street called What Rhymes with Mando. And it's like, yeah, and it's like teaching kids, um, Spanish because a lot of Spanish words, uh, the, the end of the Spanish word, uh, rhymes with, with Mando. His name is like Mando. And, uh, and so it's a really cute little song. Like what's right, what rhymes with Mando on YouTube? You can watch it. Uh, so that's the actor under all the, uh, lavender makeup as Sean's brother, the prisoner that they're rescuing. So, um, that was really fun. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the guy back in the garage, Mark Boone Jr., who I loved on Sons of Anarchy, big mm-hmm. fan of him. I thought he was a great fit, uh, for this show as well. Yeah. He was, I mean, just kind of playing. What's the character from Sons of Anarchy? Is it Junior? I can't remember. His, I mean, he, yeah, he was just doing a Sons of Anarchy thing. It's true. I mean, right? I just kept thinking, like, if I hadn't seen him executed, like, and, and that scene where they, <laughs> No, never mind. <laughs> I'm giving away Sons of Anarchy spoilers here, but like, uh, uh, I don't know, should we take that out? <laughs> no, it's okay. He played Bobby, Bobby Munson Bobby, on that's Sons a, of yeah. Anarchy. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, yeah, he, he was basically doing Bobby, but I didn't mind because like, there's not, I, I, you know, Sons of Anarchy at the end there was really trying my patience, but he, he never did. Like, I loved him on Sons of Anarchy, so I was really happy to see him yeah. doing his shtick. Um, and then let's talk about some cameos. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. we've got three director cameos in this episode as Rebel Pilots. Mm-hmm. Rick, 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 who directed this episode, Rick Yeah, Rick Famuyiwa, he plays Jib Dodger. Oh, love it. Deborah Chow, what's her character's name? It is Sash Ketter. Oh, love it. And Dave Filoni. What's his character's name? Trapper Wolf. Oh, amazing. What so fun. Dave Filoni is <laughs> a big, like, wolf fan and, like, old, like almost like frontiersman kind of, uh, he's interested in that history. And Oh, like George and, R. R. Martin. He and George should talk about their love of wolves. Kinda, <laughs> yeah. And he, like, knows about, like, famous wolves that were tracked, like, you know, notorious wolves, almost like, like criminal wolves who, uh develop like reputations in certain parts of the country in certain bygone eras so trapper wolf i don't know i'd like to these guys i asked uh, my friends at lucasfilm like okay does, does this squadron have a name they didn't have one i propose shepherd squadron okay <laughs> all directors 
guiding us through. <laughs> love it. Love it. So uh, that was really fun to see them. And then there's one more cameo uh, in this episode that, mm. that some people who've only watched like live action Star Wars or even people who are fans of the animated series might not be aware of. But Matt Lantner, uh, who voiced Anakin Skywalker in the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, yes. shows up. Uh, as this little like uh, I think his character's name is Davin and he's a uh, like a rebel um, I don't know soldier what's his what's his, I don't know Prison he didn't guard. get he didn't get a name in the I, I couldn't quite catch it as it went by like he kind of mutters it like his first name I thought it was, was it Davin. Davin that's Davin, what I wrote down like, but, you and, know, and, yeah. and then like in the in the credits it's like just like rebel soldier or uh, or a Republic soldier. Sure. So, so yeah, New Republic soldier. So the guy, yeah, that's right. I shouldn't call them rebels. The New Republic is a thing. Um, but so the guy, the guy in the silly helmet guarding the uh, the prison ship, the only human egghead, uh, as uh, Bill Burr called him. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a little that's a little fun little cameo for the animated Anakin Skywalker. So I mean, and Clancy Brown also uh, has kind of a rich history in Star Wars animation. Um, he was. So Savage Opress in oh, Clone Wars, you know, the, uh, the, <laughs> uh, ev- the even meaner brother of Darth Maul. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Riser- Rider Azade, I think was his name, Azadi from um, from Star Wars Rebels. You know, he was uh, like a human in, in that one for a change, <laughs> not playing a horned demon-like creature. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I thought he was, I love Clancy Brown. I think that guy is, uh, he's so intimidating, just sitting still, just not doing anything. And he has that look like the assistant principal who just wants to beat the crap out of you and is barely <laughs> holding it together. Oh my God. What else happened on, uh, Dingle Dingle uh, Day? Dingle Dingle Day. <laughs> jingle Jingle Jingle. Uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, yeah, Clancy Brown has never phoned in a day in his life is the is the whole thing about Clancy no. Brown, right? Like he's just he's always there, he always shows up, he's always great. Um I've been rewatching Lost recently. He's in Lost, so that's, oh, right, that's right. been on my mind. But you know, he just shows up everywhere, is incredibly tall, has that great voice. And it's just fantastic. I thought he was really fun in this, too. So, yeah. So, um, uh, since you're the Western expert out of the two of us, Anthony, um, I'll share this with you. Mm. This premise, which is like a guy who used to do worse stuff but is now trying to live the straight and narrow a bit more, uh, has to team up with his like old criminal pals uh, and, and do a job. That seems to me to be like, I feel like I've seen that story. But I could not like put a finger on it of like where where I've seen that story before. And then I did this really embarrassing thing where I looked up like top one hundred westerns or something like that, and like read read like the plot summary of all of them to see if there was like a really famous western that I was forgetting that has this plot. Uh, but I couldn't find any because I was going to show up and be like, oh yeah, this is a very uh, uh, <laughs> episode. Um, but I couldn't find anything that matched this description. So do you think this is is this referencing any premise? Or any movie that I'm overlooking. Well, jailbreaks were like, you know, a kind of a common trope of westerns. I guess sure. um, I can't think of like one where that was the only plot. You know, yeah. um, where like the core plot. It's usually like, you know, that's 
part of the story. You know, you bust, you bust out your teammates. Like it reminds me a little of like, I don't know if this even happened in Ocean's Eleven, but like team heist movies where you got to get the last member. Like the first act is getting the last member of the team together. Uh, and, and you got to bust that person out of like, you know, a Guatemalan insane asylum or something. And, uh, uh, this is going to be, hmm. I, uh, do I want to be the, uh, uh, the entertainment journalist who is constantly citing the A team? No. <laughs> but, <laughs> but in the A team, they were always, uh, they were always breaking Murdoch out of like, uh, the the like uh, insane asylums and penitentiaries and things like he was always like he was always detained or captured somewhere and then they would go and bust him out at the beginning of like a lot of the episodes something, so yeah all right all right so my team something you said actually reminded me of of a western i have seen one million times uh you you mentioned um that the dynamic between Shion and the mandalorian reminded you of like teasing the priest or something like that mm-hmm. and so then i thought of Oh, honestly, genuinely one of my favorite Westerns, maybe one of my favorite movies. Please don't judge me, everyone. Please don't want to unfollow me on Twitter for this. Uh, it is Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead. Um, I love this movie for some reason. And Russell Crowe plays this guy who used to be like a brutal killer gunslinger, but has become a priest. Um, and Gene Hackman, who's this like bad dude who runs the town, his whole, uh, you know, motivation around Russell Crowe's character is to get him to like, break his honor break his code like stray from the path and and take up his old gunslinging ways um and so that kind of reminded me of sort of what's a little bit of what's going on with the mandalorian here yeah yeah i think so um but yeah watch the quick and the dead if you haven't because sharon stone wears some incredible coats in that and you won't regret it um and you might regret it but don't come crying to me if you do okay so (laughs) So the reason, the only reason that this, these, these team of ne'er-do-wells, uh, have asked the Mandalorian to join them is they need the Razor Crest because it is off the radar of both, uh, Imperial or ex-Imperial forces and the New Republic. They call it a ghost ship. Mm. Do you have any, like, further info on, on what exactly that, that means, Anthony? I mean, I heard that. I was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> is that why he was able to just like zoom past those new republic uh the new republic squadron they come to like blow up this uh you know at the very end they come to blow up this space station or whatever and just ignore the ship that zooms past them i guess i i just felt like okay that's the internal like that somebody in the writer's room said wait why do they need the mando uh how about if his ship is like kind of old school so it doesn't have all the tracking stuff on it that uh, and it could kind of slip through. Well, okay, yeah, we'll just say that. It has the whatever device. Okay. <laughs> you know, and uh it's um it's convenient. It's, uh, yeah, convenient. You remember like you remember in uh Thank You for Smoking when uh um they're meeting about uh it's Rob Lowe, the agent talking to uh Aaron Eckhart's like smoking uh what is he like the smoking uh lobbyist lobbyist like, yeah yeah we need to get like smoking in space and he's like yeah but what about like the oxygen like that wouldn't you know in a space movie you wouldn't be smoking in space he's like oh no we just add a line where we say you know thank goodness we invented the uh the uh whatever device to uh, <laughs> allow us to smoke in space in a high oxygen environment oh, okay yeah we'll just make that up that's what this felt like a little a little to me but i guess the premise is I guess if you think of it in terms of like our cars today have like you can track them and uh 
you know, have a satellite unlock it. And there's like computerization that if you wanted, uh, to slip through and not be detected, then you would drive like, uh, you know, a 1987 Toyota Corolla. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that doesn't okay. have any of that gear in it, uh, or whatever, you know, the whatever device. Yeah, the Toyota Corolla with the gun closet. It's fine. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what, uh, that's what our ship is. Um, I wanted to talk to you really quickly about, you know, like the plot of this episode isn't that hard to track at all, you know, like they, they, they break the guy out, uh, double everyone cross crosses ensues. Mando, Mando gets his revenge, doesn't kill them because he's got a code, uh, though I don't know how those double doors didn't smoosh, uh, Clancy Brown's character, but that's okay. Well, they hear what they did, but that, that was one of my favorite moments. I really laughed when that happened. So, uh, Blurg, uh, they slam the door down on, um, on top of Blurg, uh, Harrison Ford beginning to shoot the Force Awakens style. <laughs> and uh, you think <laughs> you think he's deceased or cut in half, and sure. then you see the door rise back up. Yeah. It's so strong that he can just push his way up, and he's grinning like madly and, ha ha, you know, can't kill me, I'm blurred. And then, as we've often seen in Star Wars, like, uh, horizontal doors close, or vertical doors close, and then horizontal ones close. Well, then the other doors slam shut on his face. And at the end, when we see that Mando did not kill them, that they are just locked up in a cell, uh, if you'll notice, the horns of Blurg are, are like smashed off. So oh. it kind of, basically his, you know, cause he was hoisting the back door on his shoulder. So it was, that thing slammed on his head and it didn't crush his skull, but it <laughs> snapped off his horns. So he's been dehorned. All right, so he lost his horns, but not his life. So there's that. I mean, I, I like. I think all of us who have seen at least like two TV shows in our lives knew that those characters weren't going to be dead because the camera cut away before they died. Right. Um, but I was happy to see them all in that jo- because it means we could see them again later with even more cause to hate the Mandalorian. That, Mando's that not a cold-blooded killer, too. I think it has to establish. Well, okay, yes. But that's that's something I actually wanted to talk to you about, mm-hmm. because the Mandalorian has this line, right, where he, like, he won't kill another, um, you know, living, breathing creature, but he hates droids and will just smash through droids. And I'm actually wondering if this episode is trying to say anything about that, because... Like, ordinarily, I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think it's too deep. It's just, like, a way that our hero can kill a lot of people without us thinking less of him because they're just, like, you know, hunks of metal or whatever. This episode really pushes on, like, his hatred of the droids. And then that last droid that he kills, by ripping off his arm, there's this, like, spatter of oil coming off of his, like, arm socket. Droid horror, yeah. Yeah, that I thought was meant to really, like make us i mean i don't know if i'm overthinking it but make us ask the question like what is the difference really between you know okay he he has a code but like he's brutal and this episode is also like shion keeps saying like i know who you really are i know oh you did that job but you enjoyed it i know who you really are you really have this darkness Mm -hmm. inside of you and so you know we see him rip that arm off that droid and i think we're we're meant to have some questions about the Mandalorian and his taste for violence. And also how much of a distinction should we be, you know, like we think of C-3PO as a friend of the family, you know what I mean? Like that's what if the Mandalorian brutally murdered C-3PO? Would we think he's so heroic then? Like what's, you know, what are, what are some of the questions we should be asking around this? 
Yeah, I think so. I think, look, droids are... The interesting thing about droids are, I feel like there are droids that have personality, and then there are, like, those guard droids that are just... Uh, maybe they have lo- hopes and dreams, but they're more or less just automatons and not droids. Where a droid would be like a... I know they're not, there isn't a distinction drawn necessarily in the, the text of the story, but like, you know, R2-D2 has a personality. BB-8 has a personality. Not every um, mechanism has a personality, it seems. So the, maybe it's the more you get to know them, you... Uh, you know, and droids can also be blown apart and repaired. So, unlike humans. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, uh, I think, uh, I don't know. I guess it just shows his, his brutality with, 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 uh, with robots. But I, I, I don't, uh, I don't know. I think we're going to learn a little more about what motivates that. Well, and we've seen, uh, some hints of that, right? Like in, in the flashbacks to this purge. There are battle droids, like battle droids. Battle droids killed my parents. You know, like that's that's that seems mm-hmm. to be the source. A of Battle the droid friend. killed my pa. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the source of his uh, his uh, uh, you know bigotry. I would say. Um, I don't know. I just think I for uh, of of all the things, I think that that spray of oil was really meant to make us oh, yeah. question um, <clears throat> him, the Mandalorian in general. Okay, I have another question for you. Okay. So, speaking of which, um, our droid of the week, uh, Zero, right? Z, uh, is, is trying to, like, sort of pin down Baby Yoda. And Baby Yoda, like, goes to kind of use the force on him and can't, and sort of looks at his hand, like, what, why are you, like, why are you malfunctioning or whatever? And the Mandalorian hops in and, and dispatches, uh, Z for him. Um, in another one of those, like, you think the shot is hitting the baby, but actually it's the Mandalorian shooting. Third time. Yeah, third time. Um, but uh, when is the last time you remember wa- seeing Baby Yoda use the Force? When the Mudhorn is attacking. Right. So we have not seen Baby Yoda use the Force since he went to the doctor. Oh. So, which, like, you know, we've been distracted by, like, bone broth sipping and, like, all sorts of other cute things that Baby Yoda's been doing, but he has not been using the Force. And so I don't know if that's... There's a couple options here. Number one, um, he's still tired from the last time he used it. Uh, number two, you know, he's just a baby, blah, blah, blah. Number two, it's erratic. It has to be erratic for narrative purposes. He can't be, like, saving himself and the Mandalorian with the Force all the time. Or number three, the doctor took his force away or suppressed it in some way. We've got the necessary material, right? Isn't that what they yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. So Maybe did they, they take... direct his midichlorian. Uh, I just don't want it to be about midichlorians. I just don't want that. But uh, it might be. It might be. So Ooh, what, if the pre- what if the premise is, you know, we create these force-sensitive beings and then we take their force powers? Like... And create like a force vaccine, like a super soldier serum. That's messed up. Or or it's like a Fahrenheit for like suppress the force on everyone, so mm. that no one no one can have the force. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm, like a force vaccine, right? 
so, you know, uh, like I, this hadn't occurred to me. If, uh, our producer, actually, Dave Gonzalez, is the one who brought it up to me this morning. I was like, what do you mean? We've been watching Baby Yoda use the Force all the time. He's like, have we? And no. I was like, oh, no. There's one, uh, like, one question mark is when they were on Tatooine, like, how did the baby get out of the ship in order to, like, wander up in front of Amy Sedaris? But I think that there is, like, very easy, like, I just he just opened a door uh answer to that. No yeah, not necessarily. He's just wandering course. around. That's, yeah. So uh yeah. So let's get baby Yoda's powers back. Uh might be might be the new mission. Who knows? But um that's a, that's the thing that happened. And then um I only have one more I mean there's a mouse droid, which is a cute little like reference to um original Star Wars. And then yep. there's this they're everywhere. They're all over the place. There's sure, not, sure. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's always fun to see them. Um, this Ardenian, I think is the name of this creature, this four-armed blue-furred creature that's in one of the cells, um, is the race, is a species that, uh, John Favreau voiced in Solo, a Star Wars story. That's right. Mm-hmm. So that was a nice little, a little Easter egg. Is there any other, like, little Rio Durant. god you love a star wars name um was there were there any other like references or homages that you wanted to to mention in this episode i didn't see you know i I actually appreciate that it's getting let a little less like easter eggy yeah as fun as easter eggs are they also i feel can be a little distracting um i'm much more into the idea of like don't they say that Mayfeld, the Bill Burr character, like he's an ex stormtrooper, and he's like, I wasn't, a, I was no uh, stormtrooper. Oh, Why is that? He was a sharpshooter. He's like, oh. he's like, oh, that doesn't say much. And he's like, I wasn't a stormtrooper because stormtroopers are notoriously bad shots. Yeah, uh, that was I a guess good, so. I guess so. Yeah, that was a good joke. Uh, he said, he, I think he called the ship. He said the ship looked like a Canto Bite slot machine. So a nice little Canto oh. Bite reference uh, right. in the episode. Um. Yeah, I, I also, I you know, last week with all the references last week, it was kind of nice to to keep this uh, a little light and to just like yeah have this rogues gallery of characters that I immediately like loved watching and would love to see come back, um, except for the two that got blown up, I guess. But um, oh, and then probably the droid too is toast. But um, you know, our 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 suicide squatters locked in jail. Uh, it would be nice to see them again. So maybe in season two we will. Uh, anything else you want to mention in this episode? Hmm. I think that does it for me. I, it kind of covers it. All right. Yeah. Like a fun episode. Nothing can particularly like too deep, except the Mando sort of some glimpses of, of what the Mando might've been mm-hmm. like in, in his earlier time. Um, all right. So that brings us to the other thing we want to talk about before we close out, which is the rise of Skywalker. Um, Anthony and I will be seeing it in just a couple days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm really excited. Uh, I, you know, as someone who, Love The Last Jedi and love The Force Awakens, both. My feelings on this are rather uncomplicated. It seems like for for a lot of people, they feel like you need to choose sides. Either you're a J.J. Abrams Star Wars person or a Ryan Johnson Star Wars person or a no Star Wars at all person. Um, and I, I just love r- these characters and I'm excited to see what they do. And I'm not feeling a lot of um, – I don't feel like a huge burden of – like this needs to fulfill something that started in me back in the original trilogy or anything like that. I think it just needs to be like fun and hopefully a bit emotional. And that's what I'm looking for. What are you looking for in this movie, Anthony? 
What am I looking for? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it's the opposite of what a lot of people would or say they're looking for, the way the movie is being built. It's this conclusion to the Skywalker tr- series, right? Or the yeah. saga. Uh, okay. I don't think it's the last Star Wars movie, so I want to know how this opens the door for other Star Wars storytelling. Like, I'm, I'm all for learning about who Finn is and where he came from and wh- what Rey's actual origin is. Uh, I'd love to know how the Emperor had a grand plan all this time that involved dying 40 years ago. Like, I think there's um, <laughs> uh, a lot that's going to be fun and surprising. And I'm just down for that ride. Like, I'm not... I, I guess this is just kind of how I come to a lot of movies. And it helps me stay sane on a in a job where yeah. I have to watch a lot of stuff is... I don't come in expecting a lot. I want yeah. to be surprised and I want you to, su- I want you to, you know, make me feel energized and, and, and entertained by what I saw. So I'm not, I don't have any like, if it doesn't do this, I'm not going to be happy. I liked that The Last Jedi threw us curveballs about, um, who Luke was. And I think all of that was true to his character, truer than he is a, late middle-aged badass ninja Jedi on an island who knows all and is super wise. Like, I like that he still didn't have it together and was still trying up till the end and ultimately lives up to the legend. That, to me, seems to be the theme of this of this new trilogy, is living up to the legend. Finn wanting to escape and be by himself and Rose saying, like, you're the famous Finn, like the hero of... Uh, uh, of this uh, battle against Starkiller base. Like, I, I want your autograph. I'll <laughs> get a selfie. Like, and he realizes he has to live up the way others see him. Uh, I think this, this movie should do that. It should show us the characters we love and care about living up to the legend. Luke Skywalker, Leia Organa, um, maybe even the characters who are villainous living up to what we know is maybe some decency latent inside them. So... Uh, even Hux, man, he has that cat that loves him. <laughs> <laughs> Something good must be in there. Uh, who yeah, would guess yeah. going into Return of the Jedi that the conclusion would be Darth Vader thinking, what have I done? And hurling the Emperor into, uh, you know, this very dangerous pit in his throne room, which should never have been there. <laughs> Yeah, who has a who has a pit in the throne room? Um, How about you? Like, what do you, what expectations do you have? Like, or what do you? What, oh, what, what is yeah, it you no, I'm, I'm with you. Stuff? I think I think the way we can all be happiest and sanest is to go in with like no expectation or hope other than to be entertained. Um, you know, and uh, that's I think where, especially with the Last Jedi, once again, a film that I really liked. I think that's where a lot of folks find the source of their frustration is in their expectations, not matching the story that Ryan uh, laid out in that film. And I had someone, you know, there've been a lot of arguments circling around this on the internet uh, past week or two, Uh, perhaps the flames fan by comments from, you know, people involved in this film, et cetera, and in New York time profiles. Um, Mm -hmm. But I had someone, One person said to me, they're like, uh, you know, they felt the last Jedi, like, 
really disregarded their the fan theories about Star Wars, which I think is a, like an insane premise to begin with. But regardless, they were like, uh, you know, it, it it showed disregard for fan theories. And given that you, Joanna, like make your you know half of your profession is in like fan theories, like how how can you not see where we're coming from on this? And I just thought, like, wow, I have never taken it personally. If something that, like, I thought would happen in a TV show or whatever, uh, like, I once, I, you know, my, the most famous theory that I ever put out there that turned out to not be true was so embarrassing. And it was that Jon Snow would come back with, like, a wolf brain on Game of Thrones. I was, like, so sure this was going to happen. It didn't happen. And I survived. And it just became this, like, joke. And I was just like, yeah, I was, like, a little embarrassed. But mostly I thought it was funny that I just really stuck my neck out there. And I was very wrong. And it's just like, it's not personal. None of this is personal. And also, you don't have ownership over the story. You know what I mean? The storytellers have the ownership over the story. And then once you consume it, you can create some ownership in terms of like how it relates to you personally. But like you as a fan of something do not dictate the way in which that story is going to go. And uh, I kind of feel like Luke in The Last Jedi where I'm like, this isn't going to go how you think. It's just sort of like, just if you let that go the odds that you're going to enjoy something is going to be so much higher. And, and don't we all, wouldn't we all prefer to enjoy something rather than hate on something for months and weeks and years to come, you know? Well, sadly, I think some people do like that. That's their entertainment is hating on something. I, I, I just think it's very hard. I agree with you hundred percent on all of that. Like it's very hard to enjoy a movie when you come in so invested in the movie you have imagined. In some ways, that's why book adaptations are really difficult, yeah. challenging for people because you've imagined the story a certain way. Absolutely. And you have to give it up a little bit and just enjoy somebody else's cover version of it because you've created something in your head that now somebody else is interpreting. And yeah, it's never going to quite live up to the same. And I think that's part of the problem is that people are writing these movies in their heads and have these very um, intense expectations that, and they're not they're not willing to 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 open up to it. They're watching all of these movies like Edgar Wright watching Ant Man. Like, yeah, you have a version of it you wanted to do, and you're not you're not telling it, and you're never going to enjoy that, no matter how good the movie is. You know, so it's just like uh, you've got to um, you've got to let go, and uh, that's a very like specific real life example. But I think it's sort of. A, People are so busy writing their fan fiction that they can't enjoy the actual ride, the actual story. Um, but, you know, that if you do that, God bless. That's your thing. Okay. I think I think you got to, in any story, you know, when I was, uh, when I was in, in high school, I was in school plays, and I had this uh, teacher, Mr. Mr. Carousel. All right. Well, of course, we're theater kids, right? <laughs> but, like, <laughs> that tracks. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, uh, you know, my teacher, Mr. Carousella said, you know what the difference between a rehearsal and a performance is? It's an audience. And right. the audience is a key part of the storytelling, but you have to just be willing to go with it. And you may, you don't have to like it. Absolutely. But, but I think it's very hard to come in at the very beginning with, with super rigid expectations of specific beats that the story must resolve in a fashion that you've preordained. And expect to walk out enjoying that, whatever the experience was. Like, sorry. It's just not, 
I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you an example of, of something that I like used to be a huge fan of and then I'm not anymore necessarily. And that's, uh, the TV show Doctor Who. There was a time when I was like really, really into what they were doing on Doctor Who. And then they're now we're in an era where I'm not really into what they're doing on Doctor Who. And like the thing is, I can be the, I'm sometimes disappointed by that because I, I loved loving Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'm disappointed that what the show they're making now is no longer a show that really appeals to me. That being said, what I would never do <laughs> is try to go ruin someone else's good time. <laughs> if they're enjoying Doctor Who, it's none of my business. And I like what well, I just I guess the impulse that I don't understand is the need to yell at other people about how bad the thing that they enjoy is. Because like, what? why? Life feels way too short for that, in my opinion. So yeah, I mean, if it's something you consider to be shameful or cruel, you know, that's, that's different. Not, yeah. Yeah. That's like this was wrong. The way, like we, like I, you know, judged Bill Burr's comedy at sure. the beginning of this, uh, yeah. of our, our broadcast here. But, um, I think it's okay to critique things. I just think, yeah, we, we, um, yeah, I guess we're just I'm saying the same thing over and over. No, no, no. Okay. yeah, critique and, and critiquing things is fine. Absolutely, I'm not it's saying okay don't not cr- to like things. Don't uh, critique, but, but like it's it, there's a difference between critiquing or maybe even talking to people who agree with you and share your critique, and that's comforting because you can be like, "Yep, we both don't like this thing, and that makes me feel saner because like otherwise, you know, I feel so alone, etc." But then to like feel the need to lash out at people who are enjoying the thing. That's the, that's the step well, beyond that I don't understand. And if you're confident in your opinion, it's fine to share it. I think, yeah, it's not great to walk into a group of people who are enjoying something and tell them how stupid they are. Like, right. that's never cool. Don't be that person. Um, so, yeah. So we will be seeing the Rise of Skywalker soon. Is there the, – I guess the, uh, the other question I have is – this is, it's not the last Star Wars movie, but it's potentially the last Star Wars movie for a while because it looks, I mean, allegedly there's a film in two years, but we don't, you know, plans are changing fast and furiously over at Lucasfilm. We don't quite know what's happening there. We do know that, you know, the future of Star Wars is very Disney Plus focused. We've got a lot of, uh, you know, we've got the Obi-Wan show coming, the Cassie and Andrew sh- like show coming, but is, is there anything that, I mean, uh, if this is the last Star Wars film for a little while, I mean, does that mean? I mean, I don't know. You and I lived through a time where there was no Star Wars for a really long time, so like, I don't, I don't know that I see it as like this earth-shaking thing, you know. I don't think it's a bad thing for there not to be a Star Wars movie every single year. I agree. Like, when I got when I got out of. Um, I think it was solo which just was not my favorite uh star wars film i think the 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 slogan that i came up with is like make star wars rare again like star wars i i don't mind there being like a, Dis- a lot of disney plus shows i think that's a great idea but in terms of like a film like it should feel like special and rare and an event and all that sort of stuff and i don't think marvelizing it is really the way to go you know yeah i think i agree all right. Well, then, you know, it's just you and me agreeing with each other all the way up and down the board. Well, yeah. No, we, this show is better when we disagree. I disagree with you. But, uh, uh, no. Well, is yeah. there uh, t- two two last questions? Is there one, uh, like, character we've seen before, one one character we've been following either from the original trilogy or the, these new films 
um, that you are most like curious and invested into seeing the like resolution of their story. Hmm. A character from the new films who I'm interested in seeing a resolution to. Like the, the one you're like most curious and excited about sort of thing. I think I'm most interested in finding out a little more about, I like both Finn and Ray. Like people are so fixed on Ray's origin story. I really want to know about Finn. Like that's a character who I, I just relate to him. Like as somebody who grew up one way, politically in a family that <laughs> believed certain things and then evolved and changed. Like, I think, uh, not to make it, I guess, so rooted in our own world, but I love the idea of a character who as a young man has a wake up and goes, I don't have to do this. You know, a Phil Oaks kind of, I'm not marching anymore. Kind of, uh, uh, epiphany. And, uh, and I also understand his impulse in The Last Jedi. I've like, I just want to get out. I don't, I don't want these problems. I just want to live my life and be happy and find somewhere quiet to live out my days. Uh, and yet he's drawn back to it. So like, that's a character who I really, I, I just like him. I, I like him because he is self critiquing all the time and trying to do the right thing and doesn't necessarily have any special abilities that, uh, that arm or equip him or shield him. So yeah, I kind of want to see where Finn goes. Excellent. And then my follow up question. Um, God, I mean, I'm going to cheat is kind of a tie between, uh, not to be basic, but Ray and Kylo, like just that, that return of the Jedi, um, Darth and Luke sort of like, I know there's good in you, uh, push and pull. That's very powerful and interesting to me. So, mm-hmm. uh, just to see if, 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 uh, you know, if JJ wants to do a similar thing he did on Force Awakens and like remix, uh, the third film of the franchise, then like, yeah, the Vader, Luke, Kylo Ray sort of connection redemption thing is the thing that I'm most interested in. And then my last question to you is, is there a brand new character in the film uh, that you're most excited to see what, what they're all about? Mm. Uh, let's like, I'm very curious what this Zori bliss uh, mask character is all about <laughs> like like cool costume let's see where it goes i i'm i'm, I'm feeling that so i, I kind of want to see where who she is and um gosh yeah i guess that's the main one who- it'll be a it'll be a real loss for all uh all hair, hair lovers across the world. Uh, if, oh. Car- if Carrie Russell never takes off that helmet, but she might not. I know. might just, you know, it might be a Mando situation where, or a Phasma situation where we never, we never see Carrie's face, but I'm a huge Carrie Russell fan. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the story. Of I, even if, even if she's only in the film for five minutes, I don't care. That's fine. I wouldn't mind if Phasma came back. If that was a surprise in the movie. I would love to see Phasma come back. As like this scorched, burned, scarred Ooh. creature, and they realize, <laughs> oh my god, that's Phasma! Like, <laughs> and they're like, oh my god, she's been in the trash can factor this whole time. Sorry, I know yeah. that's the end of Force Awakens, but um, um, but also yeah. Lance, I gotta say, like, as a original Star Wars fan, Lando, um, Lando, man, I want to know what's been up with him. Another 
fascinating character, like a guy who, like Han Solo, like Finn, is just a guy. And he is uh, struggling to do the right thing. Has the capability to look out only for himself, but gives that up. Does, you know, really, you know, people judge Lando for selling out Han and all that. But, like, characters don't evolve and change unless occasionally they make bad decisions and try to come back from them. I think that's okay. (laughs) You can still love the character. Han stole Lando's girlfriend. I mean. And his ship and all sorts of stuff. Which is the same. His ship is his girlfriend and he stole it. Oh, is that what you meant? Okay. (laughs) I'm like, wait. (laughs) I was like, uh, so, maybe literally. Um, <laughs> if I were Lando, I would have done way worse to on, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, all right. Well, that, those are our, some of our like vague expectations for the rise of Skywalker. We'll see what happens. But mo- mostly all I want for Christmas, the holidays, um, is for everyone to have a fun time with this movie. Wouldn't that be, that's the dream. Well, what if we all just like it? Wouldn't that be nice? And then we can all just talk about how much we liked it and, like, you know, get new BB-8 toys or whatever and just, like, like, enjoy it as much as we're all enjoying Baby Yoda. That would make me really happy. So, I I, I think, like, it's okay to be – it's okay to have strong feelings about things, obviously. People are going to react how they're going to react. But look around this world that we're in, (laughs) the real one. There are things to be really disheartened and troubled and angry about. And if you are directing – a lot of your energy toward being angry about a type of movie uh, or people who enjoy it that you disagree with, then I think you are, um, you're missing something. So prioritize, you know, that's all I would say. And try to enjoy (laughs) the fun things and be serious about the serious things. Uh, and the last, the last, uh, lecture from, uh, mom and dad here, uh, <laughs> is, uh, uh, the last thing I'll say is like, if you have time, I actually think, uh, and you didn't like The Last Jedi or you were just sort of tepid on The Last Jedi, I would recommend, life is short, but if you have the time, rewatch The Last Jedi because every single person I've talked to who's rewatched it has liked it. Even more, even if you liked it to begin with, liked it even more or didn't like it, actually wound up really liking it. So, like, I'm not saying you have to like it. You're allowed to dislike The Last Jedi. But this is true of all Ryan Johnson films I found is that they only get better upon repeat viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you like, if you went and saw Knives Out and you really liked it, like, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe give Ryan's Star Wars another chance. And there's you know, a, you know, there's a reason for that because, like, he subverts your expectations. And this is what got J.J. Abrams into trouble with that uh, New York Times interview where he says basically, yeah, when you repeatedly subvert expectations, people's expectations are not met. And I think that's true, too. But I think it takes a little – it takes an extra step from the audience to say, oh, yeah, this is an acquired taste. Like, I'm not quite sure what he's doing here, but he's doing something different. And Yeah, it's not what I expected. But it's kind of cool. Oh, it's really cool. Oh, no, this is great. Like, that's those are the three stages of watching a Ryan Johnson movie. <laughs> I think that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. All right. So until uh, next week, Chapter 7, which, uh, to remind everyone, is coming a little early. Uh, it will be dropping on Wednesday, so we'll hope to have this podcast up right around then. We, I will be in LA. We will both be watching a Star Wars film, so we're going to try to figure it all out. But we'll have some Rise of Skywalker reactions in there as well for you uh, next week. Uh, until then, Anthony, where can folks find you? They can find me on Twitter, at Bresnikan, and on VanityFair.com. 
All right. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This, also on VanityFair.com, and we will see you next week. 